Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Westwood One presents The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week, we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So... It's a pretty exciting week in Trump world. We're going to talk about that and lots of new data. And we're going to drill down on this question is of is the Trump data an outlier or a pattern? We don't know. We don't know yet. We're going to see. We're going to think it through. Thank you to a uh, kind listener who put together a playlist for us of potential songs to yes. use on the show. How deep is your love, America? That's the question (laughs) we're wanting to know. How deep is your love for this president, for the policies that are being talked about in Washington? Yeah. For Washington in general? Love's probably not that deep. Right. Probably not that deep. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I was in – so I am – we're taping this show late on Wednesday. I have just come back from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I flew in and out of Gulfport. And there's a Hooters right by the airport. And okay. the Hooters had a billboard. They up. have an excellent kale salad, I've heard. No, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> it was too early no. in the morning. They were, I weren't serving breakfast. I could not stop in. But uh, the sign outside said, politics, it sure beats working. <laughs> and I was like, and so I snapped this picture. You've got, there's a Waffle House in the background. It's just perfect. I was That's like, great. oh, this is amazing. America, this is what Washington, this is what America thinks of you. <laughs> they think we're not working here. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it means that talking about politics is better than working. No, probably that not. That cannot be true. No. That one's funny. That one's, fu- that one's funnier. My I thing just, is boring. I got a, got a good chuckle out of it. So this week's top lines, we're going to talk a little bit about how the millennial generation is viewing Donald Trump, as well as some data from Pew that I am going to send to everyone who tells me, if you're young and conservative, you have no heart. And if you're old and liberal, you have no brain because I am tired of hearing it. It's wrong. And now there is even more data to prove it. Um, we'll also talk about polling on climate change, SCOTUS, and a very precious survey being conducted by a very fantastic group of second graders. Yes. The happy, uplifting story of the week. But before we get to our poll of the week, 
First, a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, the Pollster's listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. So it's never too early to start talking about 2020 polling. We've learned last week because we tweeted out some uh, and pushed out a poll about Iowa caucus polling and we got a lot of responses like, no, it is Stop. too early. But it was none, nonetheless a sign of a lot of engagement. Um, and the similar is true with this poll that came out from PPP and showing Oprah Winfrey besting Donald Trump. That's our poll of the week already. And for folks last week who remember Kristen's challenge to make a bingo card, somebody did make a bingo card, and one of the squares was um, troll poll. So this isn't a troll poll, <laughs> I, but it is. I don't consider this a troll poll. No. This is a fun poll. It is a fun poll. I, I approve of this. This is not a troll poll. <laughs> PPP, I, will, I do not stamp this a troll poll. No, this is information we need. You know, way back when, <laughs> before people got their news on Twitter and you could just, you know, belch out your opinions all day long, I, like, wrote a thing <laughs> that I never placed, like, urge. And this was before Michael Moore wrote his thing urging Oprah to run. I had, like, a little piece I wanted to do something with urging Oprah to run for president many years ago because I love loved Oprah at her peak. I just loved Oprah. And she is cruising to victory as of right now. Oh, yes. She's well ahead in this ballot test, fifty uh, 47 to 40. Um, and among 9% of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 say that they would vote for Oprah. 11% of Republicans say they would pick Oprah over Trump. However, 11% of Democrats say they would pick Trump over Oprah. What is wrong? Those Trump Democrats, those mm. Reagan slash Trump Democrats. Maybe they're just, you know, Tell you they're, what, they're not taking the own network. When when I was in Maui, there was a lots of talk about Oprah because I guess she has like this fabulous compound like way up on the volcano. Not like a volcano. As that's well she erupt. should. As well she should. But and so I guess you can't like get from one part of the island to, to another via like public roads. But like Oprah had a road made <laughs> so that she can get up the volcano to her house. But, like no one else can use that road. But she's Oprah, so like I don't think anybody was really bothered by it. She is queen of the mountain. She is queen <laughs> of the mountain for sure. So how's Trump doing? There was that Gallup poll that did not look too good for him this week. Oh, yeah, I mean, thirty-seven percent approval. That's that's not good. People went bonkers when they saw that, and it was a story. I think it was 
Well, it was certainly the lowest for him, and he's had no honeymoon. Obviously, there's no president that has started in all the Gallup tracking with numbers this bad this early. Um, it went up to 39 a couple days later, but then there was a poll that came out right as I was waiting for you to come from the airport oh! that showed him at 37 in a Quinnipiac poll. So now, so this is actual movement. We've said for a couple weeks. Look, the numbers aren't great, but they're basically where they started. This this disapproval trend line is ticking up. Right. This is slight movement, but it's a lot of polls all singing the same tune. Yeah, and so I tweeted this out from the pollsters' Twitter feed and got a couple people riled up about it. You know, oh, this is not a lot of movement between thirty-seven and forty. No, you're right. There's not much difference between thirty-seven and forty. It's not good news, though. It's a couple different polls after he's had mm-hmm. not such great news. You know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of crummy news from uh, Trump world, at least bad coverage. Um, and at, at least at where he is right now, he's a 53 disapproved, 43 approved. That's the current trend line at the Huffington Post. We'll see over the next week if this solidifies. I mean, look, if you're trying to figure out if you're really at 53 disapprove or 52 disapprove and you're not even 100 days in, you're not even... Is he just at 60? I don't even think he's at 60 days in. I mean, that's that's bad news. And uh, as we've said several times before, what does it mean for growing your base? What does it mean for I mean, holding on to your base, reaching across the aisle? Is it making it easier for Republicans on health care to not want to give you what you want, not give you an early first win because you're less popular than they are? Yeah, that's I think – so that we are taping this show Wednesday afternoon. The big vote is supposed to go down on Thursday. So we are taping this before we know how it turns out. And we are also – pollsters are not the same as whip count experts. So we, I don't know how this is going to no go. No idea. Um, but it is notable. I think we talked last week about how there are a lot of these Freedom Caucus folks where Trump probably is more popular in their districts or is at least very popular in their districts. Um but if if enough moderates are looking at these numbers, they may break away. You know, you've got a handful that have already said they're out. And then with the Freedom Caucus sounding today like tr- even Trump twisting their arms is not enough, that does not sound like it's going to go well. Right. I think I saw a headline that about 25 Freedom Caucus folks said that they were going to vote no. Uh, there was a morning consult Politico poll, which we're not going to talk about today just because it's moving so quickly, but it showed a little bit of a drop in support, uh, for the bill. Um, you know, you have about, what is it, two dozen Republicans who are sitting in districts that Clinton won. So you put all that together. Yeah. It's, it, it looks it's ugly. Challenge. It's ugly math. It's ugly a, math it's for a challenge. people, for it's not a good, leaders. It's not a good time for Trump to have these approval numbers. Let's just put it that way. You can make a case, well, they're not really the, this number. They're really some other magical number. But nonetheless, it doesn't, you know, it's not a good time. Well, and dear listeners, if you have never watched the fabulous film, The American President, Aaron Sorkin's pre-West Wing masterpiece about what really good government ought to look like, <laughs> like you said, because it's nothing like things actually are. But it's it's uh, a movie in which the president, uh, he is a widower and he begins to date and dates Annette Benning's character. She's a lobbyist, which even back then was like, ooh, that's not good. I mean, can you imagine now, right? But she's like a good character in the right. movie, but she's a lobbyist. Right. Uh, and 
a major plot point of the film, I won't spoil it, but it's that once he begins dating her, his approval numbers drop. Right. And that hurts his ability to get things done on the Hill. Like, he's got a crime bill he wants to pass, and there's, like, um, an energy, energy environment, thing, right? emissions thing that he wants to pass, mm-hmm. that, that Sydney wants him to pass. Mm-hmm. And in the end, because— I'll make a- your Volvo a classic. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back and watch it because I'm convinced the exterior shot of the— the Nash, the the environmental group she works for. I'm convinced it's an exterior shot of the Cato Foundation or Cato Institute. Oh, like they, the beautiful. buildings look the same. That glass, that glass. I I think it's the same, which mm-hmm. would be super ironic. I need to go back and rewatch and check out and see if that exterior shot really is Cato. That's right. Nonetheless, um, so if you want like a fun primer in how presidential job approval can affect his ability to move things on the hill. Right. Except Trump's Trump's numbers aren't low because he's dating Annette Bening. (laughs) (laughs) That would actually have some cross-party appeal for a brief moment. (laughs) People are like, all right, well, that's kind of interesting. That's interesting. interesting. That's an improvement, I guess, over sort of whatever you're currently talking about. Not over (laughs) – it's not a question of the first lady, just over the political climate. So – Millennials. There's been a couple different millennial things in the news, which is interesting because we have a resident millennial expert, and that's Kristen, who literally hey, and figuratively. Ask a millennial, our favorite segment is back. That's right. It is not on our <laughs> pollsters bingo, but um, it is. Uh, Kristen literally and figuratively wrote the book on millennials, the selfie vote, and I think it shows. Uh, you know. People should be read more. People need to be reading your book. I think it's the conclusion one can draw from all of this. Millennials don't really like Donald Trump. Mm. Surprise, surprise. I'm seeing a theme he here. Only won thirty six percent of voters eighteen to twenty nine. So he only won thirty six percent of them. That's a really that's not a good number. That is it's very 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 bad. And everybody's so excited. Donald Trump's president. Oh yay, Republicans! They're all feeling very good about themselves. Problem solved. When I was down, when I was down in Mississippi, I made, I used uh, an analogy in my speech, in my column at the Examiner. I'd used Bill Belichick as the example, but in this speech, I went for an SEC example, which is that Nick Saban, uh, when he is coaching. Uh, his football team, and they are in the national championship, he complains that that means that he is not able to focus on recruiting the next class, that like playing for the national title is a distraction from recruiting the next class of football Mm. players. And so I feel like right now everybody's like, we just won the national title. It's like you're not recruiting any new players, though, Mm -hmm. but you're not recruiting any new players, Republican Party. So the – That's a better – that's a more useful sports analogy for me than everything I heard out of all the like the Comey hearings where they were just constantly like – Okay, so I like the Red Raiders, or you know, <laughs> they're like I hate the Patriots, or whatever it was, and, and I was just getting really annoyed <laughs> at its broiness. Anyway, continue. So, so this poll—it's by a group called Gen Forward. Do we know who Gen Forward is? This is not. This is not the Tom Steyer group. No, they're the, called something else. Next, they're called That's Next, Next Gen. Gen. Okay. So this and these folks work with Black Youth Project, University of Chicago, NORC, and and that those the, NORC does great work. So anything that comes out of them, you can count as this is this is a credible poll. Um, so fifty seven percent of young adults say they see Trump's presidency as illegitimate, um, including three quarters of Black and uh, large majority of Latino and Asian uh, millennials. Twenty two percent of young adults approve of the job Trump is doing as president, while sixty two percent disapprove. And eight in 10 think he's doing poorly in terms of the policies he's put forward. 
um, in terms of views of the parties, when you ask do you have a favorable or unfavorable view of either party, uh, for white millennials, they don't really like either party. Democrats only have a very slim advantage. 31 percent of white millennials say they have a positive view of the GOP, 39 percent positive view of Democrats. But those gaps widen enormously among Latinos and Latinas, among Asian Americans and among African Americans. Uh, and actually, the gap here is is just as big for Asian Americans as it is for Latinos, which is something, again, 20-some years ago, this was not the case. Um, Asian American voters tended to be much more Republican and now have begun voting almost the same way as Latinos. And we see that. I've seen that in data point after data point after data point has been telling that story. So, you know, that's interesting because that was the talk I gave this morning was about Asian Americans and the polling on Asian Americans and a few things. There's, you know, been a real been real movement in in their democratic performance, particularly in some of the states where you can examine that group independently, like Nevada, the Nevada exit polls. Um, And it's unusual for a poll like this one for a national poll. We don't see a lot of national polls that actually have a breakout of Asian Americans. This is unique in that way. It's not something that happens very often. So they mean a real effort uh, to do that, it seems. Although, Asian Americans, that's not, you know, there are many different languages, many different countries of origin. It's not a matter of simply translating a survey to Spanish, like for the right. Latino community. You have a, a higher percentage of folks who are foreign born. You have, you know, many, many different languages. So um, I'm assuming the survey is done in English. I don't know that for a fact. I'm assuming that that's true. You'd have different responses if it was uh, in more languages. But since it's a millennials, that's probably less a concern. Yeah, but it's, I, it's, it's bad news for Republicans and it underscores the same sorts of thing we saw before the election that young voters didn't like Trump. We've seen after the election that young voters don't like Trump. He is not bringing them into the GOP. Um, and there's that line that I mentioned in the the uh, top lines, which was the if you're young and conservative, you have no heart. If you're old and liberal, you have no brain. People say that Winston Churchill said that he didn't. Snope says he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. It's not true. You're like it's it like a debunk on top of a debunk. If, you, if I had a Kristen's life bingo card, <laughs> that would be one of the like drink when someone says this to you, and you have to like <laughs> inhale, take a breath, and then respond. So no, I was, and then this came up when I was in. Uh, I was speaking at University of Southern Mississippi yesterday. It was great. The students there were wonderful. Um, we had a lot of really good conversations about this topic, and everybody has um, examples that run counter to that statement anyways, right? Everybody knows somebody that like they started off kind of Alex P. Keaton conservative, and now as they've gotten older, they've moved to the left. Everybody's got examples right. of people going one direction or the other. So, But when you take a look at some data that has been compiled by the Pew Research Center, they have been tracking um, the, the political uh, – or pardon me, the partisan preferences of people by generation – by year. So you don't just see, oh, OK, well, millennials are X percent Democratic. But you can see for every year since the beginning of the millennial generation began having the right to vote, how has that looked? And this belief that exists is something I hear from Republicans all the time, which is, well, these young voters are all just going to become Republican when they get older. Right. They'll all have kids. They'll buy homes. They'll get jobs. They'll pay taxes. They'll realize they want the government out of their lives. They'll get off mom and dad's couch. Then they'll magically decide that they really love corporate tax reform. I don't know. Right. So we, when you take a look at this Pew data, it shows that when the millennial generation first began voting, so the, the older edge of it, you wound up in 2008 having a pretty big slice 
of the generation identifying as Democrat. Um, but you only had 22 percent saying that they were uh, liberal Democrats, that you had an awful lot saying they were moderate Democrats. You know, you, you had a majority saying they were Democrats overall. But the bulk of those folks were conservative moderates. They leaned Democratic Um for Republicans, meanwhile, in 2008, only 29 percent of young people identified in any way Republican. So right. this like 50-something to 29 gap was huge. It's why I wrote my thesis on it in grad school in the first place. I was like, that those numbers don't look good, guys. We should do something about this. So fast forward to now, eight years, have the millennials gotten older and more conservative? No. In fact, the opposite. Now you have 27 percent that consider themselves liberal Democrats. So that's an increase of five points. Um, you still have about half of the generation identifying as uh, Democrat. You have a huge chunk, over half of the generation identifying as Democrats. Republican numbers haven't budged. Yeah. So, I mean, that's bleak. That is bleak. Yeah. The for Dem- the GOP. Yep. The Democratic group among millennials has gotten a little bit more intense. And it's gotten it's- more liberal. Mm-hmm. So it's not, this is what, what you guys are doing. It's not working. Now, it's not the same. I mean, somebody asked uh, about this on Twitter, not about this study, but about a different study where things were changing. I think it was on climate change. Like, well, is that because, um, you know, because younger people are coming to the fold and they're, you know, they are more uh, progressive on climate change or is a movement with everybody. And, you know, it's just hard to do that and look at that with most of the public releases that that outlets do and to have that kind of analysis. So this is particularly interesting that Pew's done this. It's just party ID. And even here, I mean, they're still not look. It's not like they are following the same people, right, or the same group. They're not looking at people who it's are born. It's not a panel study. It's not a panel study. They're not breaking out each year by when they were born. It's just the group of millennials over all these years. So, you know, so you're adding new people to the pool exactly. each year. But something that I have heard from a number of Republican folks pushing back on my claims that, like, we have big problems is, well, but the very younger millennials, they're not as liberal. They, you know, they're 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 more open to us. The older millennials may be gone, but the younger millennials can be one. And I've seen like small data points suggesting that maybe that could be true. But then that wouldn't explain why the generation is getting more and more and more and more and more liberal. Plus, you would think that when that pool at the beginning of the chart in 2006, that's just 18, 19, 20 year olds. Right. So at that point, you don't have any of the older soul, older folk millennials in there. Or rather, it's them, just their younger selves. Right. So this is just bad news for Republicans. It is yet another piece of evidence suggesting that in the long run, we are super, super screwed. But nobody cares. Right. No, it's wishful thinking. I will continue to shout into the void. I mean, the best (laughs) you can do if you look at this is to say, well, maybe there's not that much movement to say that, well, there's good news looking at this is, you know, it's not there. The only place where you see a group really become more Republican is the silent generation. That's where you see over time. You know, a real consolidation and maybe a little bit also with baby boomer. But the silent generation seems to be, you know, that's where the big movement is. Um, so I guess that's some good news. The gap, the the independents, by the way, have really shrunk um, among uh, in in especially in baby boomers that back in 2000, you had a third of the baby boom generation sort of. Oh, no, pardon me. I'm looking at this. You see that you see 16 percent of the baby boom generation was pure independent. That's shrunk to nine. In 2000, you had 14 percent of the silent generation as pure independent. That's shrunk to eight. 
Um, Gen X, it's shrunk from 18 to 13. And for millennial, it's shrunk from 17 to 12. Right. And that's because they're looking at a combination of ideology and party. I think if they were just looking at party, we'd find something a little bit, maybe a little bit. Gen X hasn't changed that much since 2000. No. Gained a little bit in the liberal Dem column at the same time as losing some from the independent no lean. But Mm. y'all been pretty consistent. Take a look. Yeah. Well, you know. Nobody pays attention to us. All right. So, (laughs) but we will link to all this stuff in the show notes so you can take a look at it on your own and dig deep. And the other thing we recommend taking a look at on your own are all these really awesome maps on views toward climate change. They were in the upshot. Um, It's data from... Uh, the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication and the George Mason, Mason Center for Climate Change Communication. So these, the data from their work was, um, was on the upshot New York Times. Um, and folks really responded to it on Facebook, uh, and Twitter on our feeds. And if you go to the home site, you see even more ways you can sort the data yourself by congressional district, by county, by, um, by, um, by metropolitan area, all kinds of different questions. And so there are those kinds of uh, maps that you see where you could see here's the to- here's the average and then where, what kinds of counties and parts of the country are more than average on this metric or less than average on this metric and color coding to, to get a sense of the intensity. Um, and so th- there were a couple of things that were pretty interesting. I think one thing that I liked that I thought was an interesting finding and worth discussing is they had two different questions. One was, do you think global warming will harm people in the U.S.? And then they had a separate one that was global warming will harm me personally. And more people thought global warming will harm people in the U.S. than say it will harm me personally. Now, you can look at that and say, well, that's, you know, that's bad news for climate folks. The other way to look at it is this is a a thing we see. This is a pattern we see in polling all the time. This is not unique to climate change. I mean, folks may remember the robot study from Pew that I love to talk about where a majority of Americans feel that robots are going to take most jobs, but very few think that the robots will take their own jobs. And so there was a poll that, you know, somebody had in my old job when I was at the Melman Group a thousand years ago, and somebody had like a, like a, you know, one of those like infographics they found somewhere, I guess, in the internet room and, and put it on there. Um, bulletin board is like, you know, 80% of people think there's hell and like 20% think they're personally going, you know, so, <laughs> so this is all part of that. Like there, there is a thing that's coming that's bad. There's something bad out there, but it's not going to happen to me. I have to feel that way. That's, you know, I'm sure if we have psychologists out there, there's got to be some name to this phenomenon where you don't think it's going to happen to you. And part of it is because you don't, you know, you don't really want to live or move around with the thought that that's going to happen to you. So I think this is a, that's a function of that uh, phenomenon, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then the other question that was cool that I thought um, that folks should take a look at is, where are people talking about climate change, at least occasionally? And there was disproportionately in the wet, like the western half of the country, plus like some of the, you know, New York, D.C. kinds of areas. But the entire western half, and I don't mean California and Washington, Oregon. I mean, you know, the whole western half of the country says that they're talking about climate change, at least occasionally. Um, 
I mean, obviously some differences within them, but they don't, it doesn't fall along sort of neat, um, kind of D versus R lines, which I thought was pretty interesting. It was almost as if you folded the map of the country in half. Um, that's what the pattern would look like. Oh. Anyway, so what do you think when you took a look at some of this stuff? Uh, well, I was fascinated by the answers on some of these, the questions about, uh, how do you deal with the trade offs then? So, when it comes to things like the environment and energy, what do we do about it? Um, and how have views on those questions changed over time? And so Gallup has two questions. One they asked, it's about uh, which statement do you agree with more about energy and uh, environment and energy production? Um, that we should protect the environment, that that should be given priority, even at the risk of limiting the amount of energy supplies which we produce. Um, or development of energy supplies should be given priority, even if the environment suffers to some extent. And the reason why this is interesting is these numbers have been really wobbly uh, since uh, the beginning of, of the 2000s when they began asking this question. So the first time they ask it, a slim majority, 52 percent, say prioritize the environment. Um, 36 percent say prioritize energy production. But then you get to uh, around 2010. And remember, there was that huge – I mean, gas prices, that was a huge political right. issue around uh, 2008. You know, you had uh, – that was drill, baby, drill. Remember? I mean, this was – energy exploration was a big Republican rallying thing. And and when it was asked then after the after the election, uh, you had 50 percent saying prior – this is the 2008 election. After that election happens, the next time Gallup asks, 50 percent say prioritize energy production, only 43 say prioritize environment. And this wobbles back and forth. We are now back to huge majority saying prioritize environment, 59 percent saying prioritize environment, 34 percent saying prioritize energy production. And I've got to imagine that low energy prices is a part of this, right? That like gas is back to two two bucks a gallon at the station I drive by in Alexandria. Like that's that's pretty low compared to what it used to be. I mean, it could be a lot of things. I mean, remember, this is all part of the same wave, I believe, or at least the wave of releasing from Gallup. But we talked a little bit about it last week where um, they showed that there was record worry about climate change. So that could be part of it. And, and that's a lot of that's driven from Democrats, of course. But that could be part of why the 2017 numbers are so high. What's less wobbly is a comparable question that asks people to choose between um, an emphasis on energy production versus an emphasis on conservation when you phrase it in terms of conservation as opposed to um production then then it's a then it's a little bit different although i i feel like i quibble with the chart that we've got here and how it phrases how the question is worded so gallup Gall if anybody from gallup is listening we'll take a look at this chart because the question says which of the following approaches to solving the nation's energy problems do you think the US should mm. follow right now and the mm -hmm. options you get are more oil gas and coal or the development of alternative energy such as wind and solar power which effectively lets us conserve natural right. resources so the legend so the legend the is legend kind of is kind of unclear it makes it seem like it's people choosing between drill baby drill or turn down your thermostat and put on a sweater. And like that's not that, – right, you know, right, alternative right. energy is always extremely popular. I Again, I work for a lot of these right of center green groups and even Republican voters love the idea that we could be getting our energy from places that are not 
polluting the environment if we could. Well, it's a harder choice trade-off to make. So it makes sense to me that that's not nearly as wobbly as the other one, where the other one that we were talking about, where it's, you know, you you give kind of a, a negative included in each question, right? Should we do this even at the risk of that? Or should we do that even at the risk of something else? And you know, folks who can look at some of these questions can argue, well, we don't have to choose that. You know, we don't have to make that choice. That's a false choice that you're forcing people to make. On the other hand, do you glean something by asking people to make that choice, even if that doesn't necessarily mirror the actual choices we have to make in our policy or our or in our economy? Do you learn something from where voters' values are by saying, well, you got to choose anyway. It doesn't matter if we can um, – uh, you know, create jobs by, you know. Wouldn't, pres- wouldn't Kylie not want us to let respondents get away with like a both, like a like a cop-out answer, like can't yeah. we have both? No, you've got to make a choice. Right, right. <laughs> and so, but then are you forcing people to have a position that, you know, that they don't necessarily have? Or are you, you know, you know another way of thinking about it, are you um, – leading the policy conversation in a direction that uh, shaping it in a way that is not actually reflect what the policy the policy uh, options are and Gallup has a few questions like this um, and uh, where they you know talk about this a little bit more um, and they have their current data so it's worth taking a look at um, I thought it was a pretty interesting. Uh, they, interesting release. They've, they've also asked, by the way, over the last uh, decade and a half about uh, like some more specific proposals to do stuff about energy and environment. And right, those numbers have stayed remarkably consistent except for one. So you get big support for more strongly enforcing regulations, big support for higher pollution standards, big support for more government money on solar and wind. The one item where you see support fall off pretty severely is opening up federal land for oil exploration. That had been kind of up there hanging with the pack uh, as recently as 2013 at 64 percent support. It has now fallen down to 46 percent support. So it has left the rest of the energy policy pack in terms of support. Yep. And then one more thing that came out in climate, and this was from Pew, and it's not current data, but they just released the report um, that showed that so- that about the impact of science knowledge on expectations for climate change to do some sort of harm. And so they asked a variety of questions and asked how likely is this to occur because of climate change, like rising sea levels that erode beaches and shorelines, harm to animal wildlife, damage to forests and plants, et cetera. Um, what's I- important here to look at is not the individual per se, the individual um, uh, different outcomes, but how the parties differ based on the um, knowledge of science. So among Democrats, those who have the most science knowledge are overwhelmingly more likely to say these things are likely to happen as a result of climate change than Democrats without science knowledge. Uh, Among Republicans, there's no real difference based on science knowledge. So that's a partisan view as opposed to one that's grounded in socioeconomic status or an education and science knowledge. So that was something they found across like five or so different different um, climate change outcomes. What did you think of that? Uh, it didn't really surprise me that that the the differences on those issues were not I guess I might have expected for the high science Republicans to be 
a little bit higher on the percentage saying that climate change will lead to some of these bad outcomes. On the other hand, I mean, I have heard from very bright conservatives who do believe that the climate is changing, who who quibble with the way that things like ah, the weather was really warm last week. Look, it's climate change. Like that stuff bothers them because they're like, no, climate and weather are not the same thing. Yes, over time, big trends will happen. So it's like some of them that I, I have heard, I kind of agree with that, that, that they push back on the Anytime there's bad weather being like, that's climate change when there has been bad weather forever. There have been devastating hurricanes and tornadoes forever. You can't look at every single weather event and say, aha, there it is. It's climate change. Right. And I, so I don't know. I think I'm projecting onto some of the high science Republicans in this. But <laughs> that's sort of what I thought of was like, huh, that's kind of weird that those bars aren't, aren't higher and then trying to think through why that might be. The case. Yeah. Well, there is something that Gallup asked about how warm this winter has been and terrifyingly warm, <laughs> very warm, not warm today, but warm. Let me just clarify. Climate change is over. The warmth it's of cold this winter today. does freak me out. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty warm. Um, and uh, Democrats and Republicans feel very similarly about how warm the winter has been. So that's, you know, hooray. We have some bi- bipartisanship. Oh, then, well, why? Is it because of climate change or normal variation? Well, then not That's so much. That's when the divide <laughs> So 50 percent of Democrats say it's warmer than usual because of climate change. Forty five percent of Republicans say it's warmer because of normal variation. So, there, so I mean, it just reflects a similar thing, which is, yep. you know, some questioning of the science and – We'll see if that changes over the next couple of years. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is C-SPAN did a poll with your firm yes. about the Supreme Court. Yes. Timely, no? Um, so they did a poll and there's some cool infographics or graphics that folks can take a look at and we'll link to all of it. And this is some other folks here uh, in my shop, Adam and Rob, Adam Rosenblatt, Rob Robert Green, as he prefers to be called. and. Uh, in the press, and th- one of the things that was written up in Washington Post, which was pretty interesting, is asking people to recall to name any of the justices on the Supreme Court. So obviously, the Supreme Court's in the news. Um, do you know who's currently on the Supreme Court? And a majority of Americans, they can't name a, name a person. And, you know, I guess that's not a surprise. It's consistent with what we've seen before. I mean, after Scalia died, Gallup released, you know, its previous polling. And Scalia was known by just barely half of Americans. And he was, you know, obviously one of the better known uh, justices. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the best known. And she is 16% who can she name her. She is the notorious RBG. She is notorious to 16% of Americans who can name her. In an open-ended question, she's better known among Democrats than Republicans, but that's, you know, it's not overwhelming. It's 17 to 9. Um, so, you know, there – And John Roberts, it's he's the second most well-known, and then it flips the other way. 15% yeah. of Republicans know John Roberts, only 7% of Democrats. So yeah. Clarence Thomas, about 10% of Republicans – or 10% of independents, 9% of Republicans, and 11% of Democrats know who he is. So – there's bipartisanship there in 
Yeah. Nobody knows Stephen Breyer. <laughs> He's the bottom of the list. I know. Zero. Goose egg. Across the crosstab. Nothing. Bipartisanship. Sorry, Stephen Breyer. Yeah. So anyway, that's pretty interesting. Um, and the other thing, there are a couple other things that I thought were interesting from here. Um, you had uh, 62% who say that Supreme Court justices are split on political grounds like Congress. Well, 38 percent say, well, they act in a serious and constitutionally sound manner. So that was an interesting result. Um, and then 82 percent said the Supreme Court appointments were important when considering their vote for president. There was no difference there between Democrats and Republicans. There's all this talk that Republicans really needed to be reassured about Supreme Court. And that was what mattered to them. And, you know, that's how they came on board for Trump. But at least based on what we found is very similar um, uh, for both D's and R's. So take a look. There's some cool graphics. We'll link to it. Um, and it's gotten some coverage in a lot of fun places. Last but not least, the most amazing polling news of the year so far. I'm going to go out and say it. Okay. I'm going to say this is my favorite polling story yes, of the year. I think that's true. Uh, so I was trolling around Facebook a day or two ago and saw that friends were sharing a post by George Takei. The great George Takei. Right. Uh, of a poll that a second grade class was doing, Mrs. Porter's second grade class survey. And this has become a viral sensation. BuzzFeed covered it. It's a second grade class in Indiana. They are learning about graphs. And they put together a quick little Google form survey that they wanted people to fill out. And each kid in the class got to write a question. Margie, what were some of these questions? <laughs> I love these. Like, are you a farmer? Yes or no? Okay. Do you like Pokemon? Okay. Yes or no? That's good. What's your favorite activity? Coloring or board games? Board games. You know. Board games up against almost anything else. I would choose board games. Yes. But when you have <laughs> kids who are kind of in the middle of like full peak coloring, then, you know, then you end up doing some coloring, like whether you like it or not. Because like board games are just kind of a little bit beyond their grasp and Got attention it. span. So you're kind of like, all right, I guess I'm now vaguely an adult colorer because I have to color with my children. You know, so th so there's a little bit. And then, you know, then you're all done. You're like, oh, which one did mommy do? <laughs> <laughs> mommy also did a nice job on her picture. You know, so, col <laughs> so coloring sometimes. You know, whether you like it or not, it's got to be done. Do you like Legos? Yes, everybody likes Legos. What zoo animal do you like, lion or monkey? That's a good one. Um, and what's your favorite Frozen character, Elsa or Anna? That's just got to be on there. When I did the – Who is your favorite Frozen character? Uh, I think it would be um, – uh, I don't know if it's Sven. Is it Sven that I like? Yeah. He's the guy, the yeah. nice guy. The nice guy. Yeah. He's good. So uh, – Wait. Or no. is he the bad guy? He's the bad one. I, Christoph I like Christoph. is the good one. Christoph, Christoph is the nice is a good guy. One. Sven is problems. No, I think spoiler Sven. alert. Spoiler alert. I thought Sven. This is when I do other stuff. Okay. When wait, no, mate. Does Sven, Sven own is, the store? I thought Sven is the. I can't believe I don't know this. I'm going to go to mom prison <laughs> oh, for sure. God. I'm always saying like I'm going to go to mommy prison. Anybody listening for this? with children in their car right now? <sighs> 
So I think Sven isn't Sven the the like the reindeer. Anyway, so oh maybe Sven is the reindeer. Yeah, I think he's my he's my favorite. Anyway, so I had to Olaf do is the snowman. is the snow is the little snowman. Yeah. So when I did like teaching <laughs> Lucy's class about voting, which folks may remember me talking about, we did we had a vote like what's your favorite dessert, and then I we did another vote like who is the president. We had a picture of the teacher, a picture of Barack Obama, and a picture of Elsa. And I'm like. Which one, you know, this is just practice. <laughs> Which one of these is the president? So most people got that right. So um, what food do you like, pizza or soup? <laughs> I just love that because it's like so rigging it for pizza. Like yep. that's clearly the teacher's like, let's put soup in there. Like <laughs> no soup for you. No one will pick soup. It just reminds me of, um, was that like Best in Show where she's like, we both love soup. <laughs> <laughs> We like to talk and to not talk. <laughs> That's what I think of. But I, I do like soup, but I guess I wouldn't put it in my top top thing like this. So anyway, then BuzzFeed had to ask its readers what they liked. And pizza, of course, crushed soup. Giraffe seems to be crushing zebra. I guess that's fair. Ze- I mean – Giraffes are pretty spectacular. Zebras are like really cool, interesting horses, but giraffes are, you know, have long necks. I think I would have picked zebra. I might have picked zebra. Giraffes kind of freak me out. They have weird tongues. Yes, I've fed I've fed a zebra. I mean, a giraffe before. I they were they were very nice. Well, they're getting fed, so they were very nice. (laughs) Um, so some key findings. Oprah, twenty twenty. Call me. I'm ready. I'm not spoken for. Republicans worried about millennials? Call Kristen. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> and I want to see a map of how many people are talking about Trump's approval ratings and what color that would be. And I hope I never have to choose between more maps and more infographics. Meanwhile, with crazy weather like this, I'm team soup all the way. For now. For now. For team now. Soup. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters. You can find us individually at at Margie O'Meara and at Soltis Anderson. You can also find us on Facebook where we post links to the stories we've covered over the course of the week and that we might want to talk about on the show. You can also find us at www.thepolsters.com with our links to various polling resources. And you can come check out our show notes. Uh, make sure that you tell your friends, write a review, let us know what you think, tweet at us. We love uh, the stuff that you guys put together. Somebody put together, again, that bingo card. Know, of what great. is Polster's bingo? Somebody else put together a, a playlist of polling-themed songs that we can use when we're trying to find a song for the show. So you guys are great. We love thank that you, stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love that stuff. Thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.